0: Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast Scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at northeastscene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. I'm stupid, you're smart. I was wrong, you were right. You're the best, I'm the worst. Uh, You're very good looking, I'm not attractive. Hello everybody and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith and Tommy and we're back with another new episode. No reruns in this show. No, no matter what happens, we're here every Monday night. And tonight on the show, James Aloisio and Ian Gilchrist of Ends of Sanity. They have a self-titled EP that came out in January of this year. And Tommy, we just caught wind of it. And boy, this thing is good. I've been listening to it a lot over the past few weeks. And this is one of those hardcore releases that, Tommy, do you do this? Like, when I listen to a hardcore band, I imagine the show. I imagine people windmilling and (laughs) spin kicking through the air. I imagine myself singing along and jumping off stage. And then I get the, the rush feeling down the back of my spine. I get that when I listen to this EP, and it's good.
1: Yeah, I I do absolutely picture stuff like that. Whenever I listen to anything, especially heavy heavy stuff, I try to picture the band live. Yeah, uh, you know what? I actually was able to put that together. There's that band that's on Southern Lord, uh, Shababa. It starts with an X. They put out something on Southern Lord not that long ago, and Sunny from Hate Five Six just released a live video of them. It's everything I expected it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking unbelievably heavy and people beating the shit out of each other. Um, but yeah, no, I like that the EP starts with, I think it's a heavy band, but they have a very, like, not like PMA, kind of like positive mindset, like stay straight kind of stuff, right? But they start out with that clip from Rocky Balboa. Yes. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's the same sample from uh,
0: End of the Ocean. Yes. Exact. The one they use live. Yep. I want to watch that movie now. I've never seen it. It's pretty good,
1: man. For being like, you know, what is it—the sixth or seventh one, or whatever it is—in that—in that sequence. Sixth. Of the, yeah, yeah, it's 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 good. It's a good movie. Uh, it's not like a great Rocky movie, like. Yeah, but it, it's a good. It's a good movie.
0: I think it's a course correction. It's supposed to be
1: better than five for sure. Oh, five was so terrible, though. I hated that one. <laughs> That was the Tommy Gunn one. Yeah. That one got really sad because it was like... That was like the... uh, They had like the fake Don Kin character in that one. Remember that? Yeah. It was kind
0: of cool that it was just like a street fight at the end though.
1: I'll sue you for everything you have.
0: (laughs) Touch me and I'll sue. (laughs) (laughs) Sue me for what?
1: Sue me for what? (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's another thing with, with bands that have that heaviness that goes along with them. There's also that... And I don't, I don't think it's positivity. I think a lot of it comes out of just like, there's a mindset of perseverance. Like this is the whole idea behind a lot of that type of hardcore is like, this shit is heavy and it's rough. But the idea is that we use hardcore to get through something like music is an outlet that allows us to kind of go through things that normal people would kind of crumble under and we can kind of use music as a crutch to kind of drive us along through shit that sucks.
0: Oh, yeah. I've really leaned on music through some of the hardest times. And I'm glad I'm listening to a lot more of it now that I'm getting back outside, because I fell off for a minute. And, yeah, I remember getting out of detox and just listening to record after record after record. Like, that's how I filled the time. And, you know, just plunging myself into depths of emotion with different records to make myself feel things. And it was... I still do that. I listen to the uh, Lo-Fi hip-hop channel when I work now.
1: Oh, that one you sent me is so good. Oh, yeah.
0: Laffy. That guy is great. Whatever the—I don't remember. I think the record's called A Day at a Time, the latest one. We'll throw a track on the playlist, folks. We have a Spotify playlist where we put all the music we mentioned on the show and all the guests so that you can check it out. So make sure you do that. And, uh, well, Tommy, how are you doing? What's going on?
1: I just finished my first like full day of school with kids in the building from seven forty-five until three forty-five. So, so you're
0: back in school from the COVID scare.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, that's I, good. I, I went back on Friday. The vast majority of the kids weren't there Friday. Um, They had to have a negative COVID test to come back. Most of the kids weren't able to get it done in time. Most of the kids did get it done over the weekend, so they came back. uh, I only think I had like four or five absences today in my class. So yeah, most of the kids, the majority of the kids are back in school. Today was Kelly's first day back at work. Oh. So that was an emotional one for her. She was really upset because not only did she go back to work, but that meant the baby went to daycare for the first time. How did the baby handle that? Because the baby is very attached to the mother. <sighs> she, from my understanding, now keep in mind, she doesn't, I mean, she has like the grasp of about 15 words. <laughs> yes. Like, so um, she can't and really. 14 th- of those words are mama. Yeah, I know. Oh <laughs> my God. Or some variation of mommy, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, the nice part is, is that because my wife went back to work, my daughters went to the same daycare. So they actually went with the baby today. So they stayed at daycare today because, you know, Kelly's at work. I'm at work. They need to go somewhere and they don't start school until Thursday. Um, So the baby will be in daycare full time as of now. And then the girls go back to school. So in the meantime, they're going to go to daycare. So they actually sat around and watched her all day. So they were playing with their little sister and kind of helped her get acclimated. And I said, you know, how much was the baby crying today? And they were Mm. like, not that much when, Kelly first dropped her off. They said the you know the first half hour that um uh, she was in the building was really rough. She was really upset. But after that she got her hands on some toys and she got a snack in her so she was good.
0: Well, that's good.
1: Yeah. How about yourself? How you doing?
0: Me, I am I don't know, I'm a little anxious today. You know it's funny, I you know this, but I have no ability to relax. Like this past <laughs> weekend, <laughs> I'm like even when I'm relaxing, I have to task list it. I was like, "Okay, I have two days in the weekend, here's everything I have to do to have the best weekend ever. And I make this list of 10 things that I want to do, and if I don't hit all of them, I'm like, oh, I didn't do enough. It's this addicty rush to, to try to do everything possible. But I, I hit everything in the list this past weekend. I went out and I ate with some friends. Uh, I made an attempt to hang out with another friend. He couldn't, but the attempt was made. And then Sunday night, I went out again. I played five different video games and made great progress in all of them. I ate good food. I watched a Bob Ross documentary that was very touching on Netflix. I recommend it. I got my favorite drink, and I only drank half of it, Tommy. And I'm having the other half right now during the show. So that's an extra surprise. You see, I only have one per week to keep it special forever. What is it? Joe T. Half and Half. Oh, that's
1: right. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. They switched to plastic bottles, which kind of bums me out, but I found three glass bottles in the bodega near my house, and I purchased them, and I will, I'll hold onto the glass bottle and dump the plastic one in there. I don't know.
1: (laughs) 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 It's like, I just, we went to, I sent Keith a picture on, uh, what was that, Saturday morning, I went to Costco. No, Sunday morning. I went to Costco. Oh
0: yeah, Tommy, what, big news in the world of the Northeast scene. Tommy did go to Costco with his child or possibly children and he sent me a picture. That's
1: that's what Tommy lives for. I bought a flannel shirt. It was 8.99. <laughs> it was it was 9 dollars. It felt nice, it felt soft, and it felt like it was going to be warm. So in my head, I'm going like, that's good. I'll wear that. I have one flannel shirt that I wear to the skate park all the time, and I fall a lot in it, so it's kind of torn up on the one shoulder and then towards the back. So I was like, all right, I'm just getting another one so I can tear that one up.
0: That's good. It'll give you some character. So yeah, I just feel a little anxious. I feel a little bummed out because I take everything personally. I had to reach out to a couple different people today to ask for different things. And everyone said no, and I know it's not because of me, but I still take it personally. You know what I'm saying? I
1: I get that feeling, too.
0: Because I, I go out of my way to never ask anybody for anything, because I just, I don't like the rejection, and I don't like, I just imagine, like, I don't want anyone to ask me for anything. So I try not to do that to other people. So I reached out a couple times today, and requests could not be met. So
1: I was like, oh. Especially when you don't ask for anything from anybody, when you're like, hey, you know, I never ask you for anything. Can you do me a favor? I feel like when someone says that to me, I'm immediately like, you know what, I'm going to try my best to do whatever it is. There's a dude I work with that's constantly, like, never ask me for anything. And anytime I'm like, hey, I need help with this, he's, like, the first person to come running and be like, yeah, I got you. I'll help you move your desk. I'll help you do this. Like, and so whenever he asks for anything, I'm like, I'll drop everything I'm doing. I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm helping him. Well, that's good. That's good.
0: See, that I go into, like I'm like, oh, see, this is why I never do this. I'm never doing this again. But I realize that's all nonsense and the world does not revolve around me and things aren't because of me. This is just circumstance. It's fine. Everything's
1: fine. I I think uh, I don't have anything to say. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna start a sentence. <laughs> I, like, knew, I, I knew. I knew. I heard you anything. gearing up. I was like, he's got nothing.
0: He's
2: I, got I, nothing.
1: I, I don't know what to. Uh, yeah. I I I just feel bad because like when you I know you don't ask for a lot, so when you ask for something, it's like no. It's it's it's
0: fine. It's it's very minor stuff. But listen. Check back in with us after we speak to James because Tommy and I had quite a week last week and many difficult conversations were had, many challenges overcome, and we're going to talk about that in the last segment. But now it's time to talk to James and Ian from Ends of Sanity. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with James Aloysio and Ian Gilchrist of Ends of Sanity. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. We're we're very happy to have you here. We recently discovered the EP, and we are instant fans. I've been listening to it a lot over the past week or two, and, you know, we're going to get to all that. We're going to talk about some music stuff, but let's get to know each other a little
2: bit first. James, how's it going? How are you doing today? Doing okay. Drinking some coconut pineapple sparkling water. Just, you know, surviving. Did a little... 10 mile bike ride today did some working out um oh nice a little bit of work on the computer i'm alive so yeah
0: it's good to be alive ian how are you doing what's going on
3: i'm pretty sweaty i just got done uh working out in my apartment's like shitty gym it was cool lifted some weights ran a mile just kind of waited at home till my girlfriend got off work
0: so do you guys both live in north carolina
3: we do yes yeah. i live in wilmington and james lives in winston salem i just watched a
1: documentary that was all about winston salem uh um, devil was, you know yeah dude yeah <laughs> fucked up right <laughs> fucking crazy that was it was like a five-part thing on vice but uh yep. did you have any connection to it Did you know any any of the people that were involved in it did you ever hear? was it like huge news down there
2: yes to the first part uh, the last part i'm a transplant so i'm I spent 23 years on Long Island, New York. Uh, I moved down here about four years ago. Um, so I don't really have too many deep roots out here. So like I I know a total of like maybe five people in this entire city. Um, but when I watched it, I kind of asked around and I'm pretty sure the dude was like kind of involved with like the punk scene around here. Um, but I'd like drove by the house and shit, um, and kind of asked around about it. And, uh, yeah, definitely true. There was nothing exaggerated and, uh, it's probably like the biggest thing that's ever happened in this, uh, this little dinky town. Is this a,
0: uh, tobacco thing?
1: It's this story of this guy. Um, his real name I think is Jonathan or James, but, uh, he went by the name Pazuzu, which was the the demonic figure that everybody kind of identified in the exorcist. That was like that little kind of thing that everybody was like, Oh, it's that face that came up with the white makeup on. But essentially he was kind of like this guy who was a high school dropout. Uh, he was extraordinarily charismatic and he uh, kind of took over his mother's house. So he had people sleeping there, people living there, shitting and pissing everywhere. Yeah. It was kind of a no holds bar. Like you could do whatever the fuck you want in this house. So he killed two people and buried them in the backyard. And it took them like five years to figure this shit out. There was a a number of people that had reported it really early on, like, hey, there were these rumors running around Pazuzu killed people and put them in the yard. And the people went out there with cadaver dogs, but they had moved the bodies at that point. Uh, they were supposed to have those things, you know, like those x-ray machines that they go over the ground with. So they can see under, uh, the, you know, the first six or seven layers of soil. And, uh, for some reason they didn't have access to it. So they went out there with a search warrant searched with the cadaver dogs. And they said, ah, we turned up with nothing. And then the rumors kept spreading and people kept coming forward. And eventually, uh, they went out there and started digging up the backyard and they found that he had actually murdered well him. I don't know if he actually pulled the trigger on anybody, but he had convinced kind of like a Charlie Manson kind of thing. Yeah. He had convinced that these people. More so
2: it.
1: Yeah. He had convinced these people that were kind of his followers, uh, to commit these murders.
2: And then he killed himself before. Yeah and, the then
1: he, yeah. and he killed himself in jail by biting a main artery in his arm because he had filed on meth one night. He had filed his teeth down to points. But as soon as you said, Winston Salem, I'm like, shit, that was like the whole fucking thing. I just watched last week. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I mean, dude, most people have no fucking idea where it is. I mean, I would have never known this place existed until I uh, moved here four years ago. But yeah, they also make it seem like a very grim, dark place. And Ian can also vouch because he used to live around here as well. But it is so not like that. It's such like a normal small town, like communal. Everybody's happy. There's not really any big issues. Uh, It's pretty safe. Um, But the the documentary makes it look like a fucking shithole.
0: James, you said
2: you were a transplant
0: from Long Island? Yes, sir. So how did you end up down in North Carolina?
2: Me and Ian were hanging out and we were like, "Yo, know, wouldn't it be funny if I just never went back to New York? Basically is what <laughs> happened. So we were, basically we were, I'm exaggerating, but we were all hanging out and it was a time where I was just being a real bum. I mean, I had no job to go home to. I, uh, I was just touring with my band, uh, my previous band, which was called detriment that Ian was like kind of in as well. He would tour with us and stuff. And yeah, one day we were just like all hanging out and we were like, Yeah, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I just like moved here? And, you know, at the time me and Ian were hanging out a lot and, uh, I was dating somebody from here. So we were just like, uh, why not? And I, I, uh, I never left. And, um, yeah, here we are.
3: Well, then I left.
2: Yeah. And then Ian left. (laughs) And now I've been, I'm like, fucking A, man. Like, besides the fact that I had a child, uh, I would say Ian is the other, you know, percentage of why I'm here.
0: Were James, were you upset when Ian left? I mean, you had just moved down there.
2: Legit. I was really upset. I mean, he, he, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean, yeah, it was a bummer. Ian's my, Ian's my buddy. Ian's, uh, Ian's, probably my best friend in the state. So I was bummed, but he's, he's down by the beach and my mom actually lives out there. So, uh, when the world is not, you know, apocalyptic, I pretty much go down there to the beach once a month, see my mom, see Ian. And, uh, so it's all good. So how old is your son? Uh, He's three and a half. So
0: that must be a trip. I mean, a, a fairly new parent.
2: Yeah, it's been, uh, Incredibly difficult, but also has come with a lot of, um, you know, lots of good times. But uh, yeah, it's fucking hard, man. Uh, but I love him; he's awesome.
0: Tommy can attest; he's got three of his own.
1: Oh jeez! Twins that are about to be eight, and then a uh, one that's about to be two. That's a good age group, age gap. <laughs> it's pretty wild. <laughs> he's got a whole crew. So I, let's. I'm. I'm interested
0: in your guys' musical background. Uh, James, let's start with you. Take us through kind of your musical trajectory and some of the bands you were in, some of the some of the genres you're into, uh, set the stage for us.
2: Cool. Okay. Ever since I was born, I mean, every home video that you watch of me and my family is like Ozzy playing on the speakers, um, thanks to my dad. So I was introduced to music very, very early. It was always Zeppelin, Elvis, Ozzy, and Black Sabbath. Those are the the main ones that I remember. I hated all of them. I fucking hated all of it so much. like I remember being twelve years old and just like doing anything to get away from this horrible music I, I I think maybe it was just it was around I was around it so often, and I just didn't like have a choice in listening to it, but I fucking despised all of it and um I guess so my dad was a drummer. he used to play in some bands, and he got me a drum set pretty early on, I think I was like 12, you know, he would show me things like ACDC, pretty much anything he would play was, you know, ACDC, Ozzy, Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, nothing heavier than that. Um, But he's an extremely musical dude. So we were were just always around it. Um, And then, yeah, about 12, I started playing drums, uh, started doing like band in school. And then at like 14, I did my first band, which was called Time Rapture. And we got that name, Uh, we went on bandnamegenerator.com and (laughs) hit, hit, I think it was like a shuffle button and it just like gave you a name and it was Time Rapture. So it was a a two band, two man band. Uh, I played drums and my friend Andrew played guitar. There was no singer, no bassist, but uh, we played like a school benefit show. That was, I guess, my first show. Then shortly after, I guess I was like 15, 16, I I, I, uh, I, got reconnected with a good friend of mine. His name is Abbas who uh, he plays drums in a band called Rule Them All um, from Long Island. And he was in my first band called Scourge. He played drums in that band and I sang. And then um, we were all like 16 and then we broke up, played a few Long Island shows, broke up, and then him and I started Detriment together actually. Then that Lasted a few years, 2012 to 2017. Did a whole bunch of touring.
0: Was this a hardcore type band?
2: Yeah. The, the band Scourge, which I think there's like a band camp out there. There's definitely a MySpace music. That was a hardcore band. And then Detriment was also like a metal influence hardcore band, which I've done a bunch of touring in. We did, we went to Europe. We've done Canada. We've done some full U.S. tours.
0: Wow. And how old were you when that was going on?
2: Uh, Detriment Started when I was so Scourge started when I was sixteen and everyone else in the band was fifteen. Then Detriment was when I was seventeen to I guess twenty uh twenty
0: two. Wow. So you're that young and you're already touring all over the place and over to Europe?
2: Yeah, we did Europe in uh in two thousand fifteen, so about six years ago.
0: So what are some of the bands that got you into punk and
2: hardcore? My first concert ever was Black Sabbath when they were doing the Dio thing. So it was called Heaven and Hell. Motorhead, Testament, and Judas Priest at Jones Beach on Long Island. It was, I think, 2007 or 2006. And then my first like actual show, I went to a bunch of my friends that I was hanging out with at the time were like, oh, there's like a hardcore show happening. We're going to go. And it was uh, Elysia or Elysia, however the fuck you say it. It was that band. Elijah. Elijah, like, oh, if they're <laughs> listening. That band is horrible. <laughs> that shit sucks. So it was them. Incinerate,
3: uh, bro. Incinerate, crazy song.
2: I've heard enough. All I heard was pretty fucking bad, but it was them, <laughs> uh, This Is Hell, Straight From The Path, uh, Ruiner, and somebody else. I think it was This Is Hell or Straight From The paths. I think it was This Is Hell who at the time was like the biggest band Long Island had ever had. It was their record release show. They didn't get to play, though, um, because it got shut down for, like, fights and stuff. But, yeah, that that would have been my first hardcore show.
0: So, uh, Ian, give us some of your history, your entrance into punk and hardcore, some of the bands that inspired you, how you started playing guitar. Set the stage for us a little bit.
3: Started through playing in, like, the church band when I I was, like, fucking 10 or something, playing bass, you know, putting around up there. Had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I had an older brother who would show me, like, bands like Reliant K and, like, Switchfoot. And eventually that led to, like, bands like Under Oath, and Norma Jean, and then, like, the Dead Wars Prada. So, I, you know, I was, like, a metalcore kid for sure, you know, when I was, like, in middle school and high school. And then, you know, I was I was playing in bands when I was, like, senior year in high school. They were really not good bands, but uh, they were, like, metalcore bands or whatever. But uh, I found... Uh, There's a band called Discourse from uh, South Carolina and Advent from Winston-Salem and then uh, Foundation from Atlanta, obviously. But uh, those bands, those three bands, I think, really kind of made me dive more deeper into hardcore, I'd say. There's more like metallic hardcore bands. Those three bands are of huge inspiration, along with like Under Earth and Norma Jean. And then uh, I started playing in a band called Dwell when I was 18 to 22, I think it was and i was also playing in detriment for like a literally I, what was it James? like a year or something
2: yeah he did uh well, he did the last tour and then you did a full us where we took dwell out i think those were both 2017 so yeah about a year year and a half yeah.
3: but yeah honestly dude it started like you know with christian bands and shit you know when i was younger and did you get into any of the christian hardcore back in the day Zayo
0: and overcome oh, no, and all man. that good stuff No,
3: (laughs) nah, dude. I was I was not like that cool. I mean, I was also listening to like Third Day and like Chris Tomlin and shit like that. You know, like not even like not even like metal bands. You know, I had no idea like
1: contemporary Christian rock. Yeah, like that. Yeah,
3: Yeah. I was listening to like ninety three point three. You know, K Love, (laughs) (laughs) and then like eventually, like in high school, you know, I went through that like shitty metalcore phase, like Gideon and like Hundredth, like not very good bands and uh, but then eventually like I saw the light and you know I think my first hardcore show was who was it it was take offense malfunction a band from Wilmington uh, called society sucker and then another band called no, uh, no was it no quarter yeah no quarter that was like my first like legit hardcore show that I went to I can't remember what year that was it was scary you know being like 16 and saying dudes get beat up and just like, <laughs> you know, being this Christian kid that just had like no idea what the hell was going on. I mean, I used to wear like Tom's and shit, you know, being in that environment, you know, going from that to that was just like a huge culture shock. I mean, like, I mean, like, dude, I was, I was scared. And, uh, but that, I think that's what, you know, kind of attracted me. Cause I was like, wow, these dudes could fuck me up. And, uh, the music is awesome. And, uh, You know, what I think I'll stick around and try to play some music, try to emulate what I just heard. And that is my introduction to hardcore, I'd say.
0: Were you instantly grabbed by it, Ian? Because I know I was. When I went to my first big hardcore show, I was directly up front for Dillinger Escape Plan. And I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know who they were. They started playing, and the place just exploded, and yeah. I was terrified for my life. People were getting pummeled. There was blood all over the floor, but I was instantly hooked. I mean, did you have a similar experience?
3: Dude, yeah, just that that feeling of, like, my life could end. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly.
3: I don't know, man. I mean, like, I'm sure it wouldn't have, I was just being, like, you know, I was just scared. You know, I was a scared kid, and you know the the danger aspect and then the, uh, do the musicianship especially like bands like take offense dude and watching those dudes play was like holy shit this band i mean like i'm not the biggest fan of them i don't really listen to them that often but like watching them play and you know the showmanship was, was like this is awesome you know like i i want to do this
1: yeah there is something with hardcore that has like that that thrill factor of like, wow, this is like legitimately dangerous. (laughs) Like, There are people getting really hurt. This is fun.
2: (laughs) It's just lawless. It's like, it's, it's, I mean, I, I think everybody can agree, especially shows, you know, for, I mean, maybe I think like as things are getting more, like I'm using air quote, but like mainstream, like hardcore is definitely the biggest it's ever been right now. But I mean, how many shows have we all seen at like VFW halls where there's no fucking security? There's no, like, no one's going to be the police. You know, it's just kind of like this lawless territory and you're watching. it. just like, I remember the ambulances were there. My friends were getting punched in the face and they were getting, you know, taken away. And I was like, what is this? Like, well, how is this allowed to be happening right now?
3: I remember when I saw my brother get, seriously knocked out like i'm not kidding he was he was out for almost two minutes i mean like his arm shot up he was like seizing and shit i'm like this this is like okay this is real man this is like this is scary and uh you know uh, i mean no hard feelings towards the guy that did it. it was an accident that was definitely like a sobering visual or experience i mean i can't believe i still like came back to it after that i mean like i Any sensible person would have been like, all right, fuck this. Like, (laughs) I'm going back to church. I'm not fucking doing this shit anymore. Like, like, I'm going to play acoustic guitar for now, and I'm not going to like, yeah, this is bullshit.
1: I showed a video to uh, a, a woman I work with who is absolutely not involved in hardcore at all, and I showed her a video of this is hardcore in Philly, and she was like, that's legalized assault. And I was like, yeah, no, 100%. You're just allowed to beat people up. It's fucking awesome
3: yeah <laughs> whenever you do show people it they're like this is fucking stupid and you're like you know you're kind of right i don't even know why I like shit. but like, it looks fucking stupid man and uh
1: <laughs> it looks stupid but it's just so great yeah while you're in the middle of it there's nothing it, there's very few things in this world that can kind of emulate that kind of that can kind of touch that kind of feeling that thrill of being in that moment of like wow this is fucking amazing and this is also incredibly dangerous there's not many things that can touch that
3: no for sure one of the first shows that my band dwell played i think my dad was there and uh like it was packed i think i i, I got like reprimanded at my job for not showing up for this show that we played it was in this tiny like Restaurant called New York Pizza in Greensboro. If anybody from North Carolina is listening to this, knows this place. I mean, like it's kind of a joke, but uh I mean, like, dude, the first note there was literally blood on our cabs. Like, like people were getting <laughs> like annihilated. and My poor dad was there watching it, and I, I'm like, oh man, I, you know, he's definitely not having fun watching this shit. <laughs> it's so stupid. But I mean, like, playing in the band and watching it unfold and people fight each other and shit. I'm like, okay, this is kind of crazy that they're doing this to my band, but I mean, whatever.
0: It's a very surreal feeling when you're playing and you're just watching people pummel each other and you're like, they're doing that to my music. It's kind of cool.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One time during uh, a Detriment set, it was in Greensboro, I'm not going to say who it was or whatever, but I mean, dude, I saw some dude use a mic, like a weighted mic stand on somebody. At uh, Do you remember that, James? We just kept playing through it. It was like happening to the side of the stage. It was like
2: a brawl. It was crazy.
3: It was fucking crazy. I wanted to stop, but you looked at me and you said, don't stop, keep playing.
2: (laughs) I mean, look, like, if all you're going to do by stopping is draw more attention to the fight. And, uh, yeah, I remember looking at you like, don't fucking stop. Don't fucking stop. (laughs) I guarantee, I mean, it was already bad, but I guarantee had we have stopped, it would have been even worse. Because, you know, there's, there was, you know, two-thirds of the crowd didn't even realize there was a fight going on. So I didn't want to draw attention to it. It was a big fucking benefit show. There was hundreds and hundreds of people there. I didn't want to.
3: That, shit, that show went to shit, man, even after that. I don't even think, like, Dwell didn't even get to play that show. Neither did, like, Jesus Peace or, like, Rhythm of Fear. Like, everybody, like, went home, like, hours and hours away. Like, they weren't even on tour. They were just playing at one-off. And uh, we had to drive back to Long Island that night, I think, didn't we?
0: What happened did uh the the fights shut down the show or something?
3: Dude, yeah. Like this venue was under new like staff. They had no idea what a hardcore show was and th- there was like so many people who'd never even been to a hardcore show cuz it was a benefit show for yeah, There was probably know, like, that was 400, well known. 400
2: people there. It was a lot of a lot Dude, of it was there. more
3: than that, James. It had to have been like Yeah. I mean, and people were getting like seriously like fucked up and there were fights happening like like outside of the venue like just like strange like like uh like beef that I don't even know what the fuck's happening and cops were called, ambulances were there and you know I think it was during Invoke they said to like yo chill and you know my friend Lar was like hey like you guys gotta chill like stop like going so hard and that made people want to go even harder and then you know eventually they turned off the power to their set it was very wild
1: yeah that's like getting into the middle of a fight and going guys you should calm down. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like that's gonna fucking work <laughs> i i saw dillinger one time a uh, long time ago like 99 and uh th- it was at an auto body place near my house and somebody picked up a spare tire and started just spinning it around in the pit and i remember the kid got on the mic and was like hey guys you got to stop that and they just immediately pick up another tire and started doing it with two of them <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like you can't encourage it you by trying to stop it you're making it worse please just yeah. let it go <laughs> yeah
0: well, wow. yeah. You know, I, I we get this idea Tommy and I are a little older. We get this idea that our era was the craziest and this stuff isn't really happening anymore and things have calmed down. And I, I have to say it's somewhat comforting in a way to hear that all this craziness is still going on somewhere out there.
2: Oh, oh it is. yeah. It is sure. I mean, I think the only difference between your generation and ours is that most of yours is just talked about like you had to be there and now everything is just going to wind up on Twitter. I mean, I got into shows when like MySpace was the biggest thing. So like there was, you know, MySpace videos, YouTube videos. I mean, that was back when like people would, you know, if there was a fight in a video, they'd still upload it. But I, I love hearing about things from like 2000 because I don't know, it just, it was before the internet was really such a like negative thing because i think the internet can be a very negative thing these days but i I like that it had this feel of like you just had to be there like there's no videos of it there's no evidence it even happened you just were either there or you weren't
0: yeah it's pretty crazy i'll see a video pop up on youtube or something like that and i'm like oh my god it's a it's a lost relic so Mm -hmm. i i seek that stuff out tommy we're still trying to find video of your first band
1: yeah, I don't think it exists. Or if it, does, it existed, it's, it's gone to the ages. But yeah, everything was VHS, so either somebody was up on stage or to the side of the stage with a camcorder – Or there's no record of it, you know, and like, and it just speaking to like how crazy those shows were. No one wanted to take an $800 piece of recording equipment in to fucking do that. Like, no one wanted to be like, "Yeah, I got my mom's camcorder. Let me go fucking put it in harm's way." Like, it's it was a fucking complete risk walking in there with that because there was a really good chance it was gonna get kicked out of your fucking hand when someone went to go stage dive or somebody was like, "Look at this. Watch this. Someone fucking plow into this kid that has the camera." Like,
3: yeah, I can imagine, dude. I can imagine. What are you guys are saying you're older
1: how old are y'all thirty nine yeah i'll I'll be forty in April damn you
0: guys are fucking old how old are you guys
3: <laughs> i'm twenty
0: five i'm twenty seven so gentlemen let's talk about how you guys linked up and the beginning of ends of sanity so you said you were in another band before, right is that how you guys met
2: well we met uh just with mutual friends kind of in the area if unless I'm mistaken i was uh, my friend Ryan was getting tattooed in Greensboro and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Ian was just happened to be there and we sat on a bench and this was at the time where Ian was, he would do a lot of like ninja things. So I just thought he was like a weirdo that like did weird stuff. Cause I was always seeing videos of him just like playing with swords really crazily or like doing crazy <laughs> shit like that. And I was just like, what is this fucking kid's deal? But we, we sat down and just kind of got to know each other for a bit. And then, uh, instantly became best friends forever uh in that in that very moment
3: we went on tour together i think because of that right or like you're were, you were with heaven's die
2: yeah we went on tour and that really solidified like our uh our friendship i was i just hopped in the van with heaven's die and uh that was a time in my life where like if i wasn't on tour i would just hop in someone else's van or you know tour manage for someone or do merch or um but yeah we we got close on that tour and then detriment took dwell out on tour and then he was basically in that band um and then basically over the pandemic i my job was non-existent i work like i work with bands like i manage bands and i book bands you work with a uh, good fight correct yeah yeah i work i manage bands with good fight and then i book bands um with state of mind touring and so you know obviously that all just went away and i was i was really fucking bored and um At that point, it had been like three years since I even picked up an instrument. So I bought a guitar and I I had some electric drums and I just started like demoing music out. And then I texted Ian and I was like, yo, like I'm doing this like quarantine project. I'm just like making some songs if you want to like, you know, help me out. So asked him to be part of it. And then same with the other dudes in the band. My friend Garrett, who's the other guitarist, him and I would just like jam on the shit that I made. And then basically I just... You know, hit, hit him up and then hit up Cameron, who he plays in Magnitude, and he's a fucking incredible drummer. I just pretty much hit everybody up with these demos and was like, yo, like, I want to just record some music and uh, see what happens.
0: So, Ends of Sanity, this self-titled EP is a quarantine project.
2: 100%, yeah.
0: That's amazing, because this podcast, in a way, became a quarantine project, because we we were just going to be like, oh, we'll do it whenever we can but we figured out how to do it remotely and it's every week now a different band or whoever we're talking to. So our quarantine projects have now combined and here we are with each other today.
2: That's awesome. I feel like there was like a month in the beginning of quarantine where everyone was just putting out like a shitty demo that like, no one ever (laughs) listened to again. So I feel like saying it's a quarantine project almost makes it sound like, like to be honest, like I, I, I knew it was like, wasn't bad. Um, but you know, I never really wanted to do a band again. I kind of felt like those days were over Type, of, you know, like I was a new dad, I was really submerged in like helping other bands. And I, I was kind of enjoying the break of just like not having to like leave and do anything. But then I was just like my creative side of me, I just feel like was dead. And I was just focusing on what other people's creative visions were. And, uh, so once this started, it, it kind of you know reignited something that I had been missing for a few years, and I'm uh, I'm I'm glad we did it, for sure. And we are too, absolutely. James, Ian, I'm I'm happy to report this is
0: not just a quarantine project. I love this EP. I've had it on repeat for the past couple weeks since I discovered it. And Tommy and I were talking about this in the first segment, and I absolutely love when I discover a new hardcore release. And it gets me going. I I imagine myself at the show. I imagine myself like doing a spin kick through the air because I can't actually do it in real life. And I get that warm, fuzzy feeling down the the back of my spine during a breakdown. And this thing is just excellent.
2: Thank you. That's really awesome to hear.
3: Thanks. I didn't write any of it. It's
2: not true. Ian's too humble. He he wrote some of it, just not a lot of it.
1: It has, minus the vocals, it has a very... um, you like that band trail of lies it has that same type of like heaviness to it that's what
3: yeah, i was so when i was my listening friends have, have told me that actually
2: hey i'll take it tom uh tom's a good friend of mine and i love the band i don't think i could sound like him if i tried though
1: i don't think many people could when i first heard that vocal like that vocal styling i was like oh my god how do they do that repetitively There's no
2: way. Let me call him and put him on the spot and ask him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: What are some of the influences
0: for you guys and for this record? James, let's start with you.
2: Admittedly, I think anytime I've really done a band, I mean, the first time was when I was, you know, 16, and the other time was between, you know, 17 and then like early 20s. But I never, I was always kind of like forced into being the singer. So I never really took, being the singer, all that serious, especially like with my lyrics, I just never really gave a shit to be honest. I was like, Oh, this rhymes, this sounds cool. Let me throw it in a song. But with this one, uh, I kind of felt like, you know, I had grown up a little bit. I had seen some shit. I'd gone through some stuff. I, you know, knew dad, I've seen life as a touring guy. I've seen life on the other side of things and I, I just felt like I had a lot more experiences. And so I actually was like writing lyrics first, but, a lot of I was in a place where I was, you know, just obsessed with like David Goggins, and I was listening to a ton of hate breed, and those things just kind of go hand in hand to me, you know. Like when running or something, I'll listen to like a podcast that David Goggins on, or like you know, a lot of a lot of hate breed stuff just really fucking fires me up, and like, and you know, the be- the beginning of quarantine last March, it was like. You had to just find something to kind of like stay motivated. So for me I was just I had hate breed on all the fucking time and then I was like, dude, I just want to make a band that kind of sounds like hate breed. So that was uh that was probably the biggest influence. I don't know if we did that. I, I've heard a few people say like it sounds hate breedy, but
0: dude, it is hate
2: All right. Well <laughs> The good thing is
0: it, it does sound like hate breed, but not so much that you're like this sounds like Hatebreed. You know what I'm saying? There's that style. The breakdowns yeah. have kind of the same the same rhythm. But until someone said, "Oh, that kind of sounds like Hatebreed," I didn't even really think that. So it's not that's it's good. not like a carbon copy. It's the perfect flavoring, if you will.
2: Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, Jamie Jasta once said on a podcast, he said, "The greatest songs have already been written." And uh, all we can do is rip them off as best as possible. So I took his advice and ripped off his band. So I don't think he could be mad at that.
0: <laughs> that's what you do. Like everything's already been done. You pick something you like, you start there and then you build upon it.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I made sure like there's def- there's like one breakdown that's really similar to a Hapri breakdown. But like, unless I pointed it out to you where I got it from, you probably wouldn't notice.
0: Yeah, when it comes to influences and bands sounding similar and that kind of stuff i i usually don't pick up on it until someone points it out and then i'm like oh i don't know i guess i just don't have that connector
2: yeah i mean dude it's that's that's how you have to write music i was just i was listening to the new turnstile and there's a song it's underwater boy i think it is and it's like nothing about it they didn't rip off the bad brains like a particular song but like the song just sounds like a bad brain song, but it's awesome because it's like, wow, like this is sounds like if the bad brains put out a song in 2021, this is what it would sound like. And I mean, that's pretty much every band that has, you know, has been making music recently. It's, it's, I don't want to say nothing's original anymore, but like all music is now is just taking influences from someone else who has already done it and putting your own spin to it.
3: Yeah. Straight up, straight up. Cause one time I wrote a riff and, unfortunately it's a dwell riff but i went back and i figured out that it was a a fucking recycled devil wars prada riff from like their first (laughs) dp i'm like how the fuck does this even happen? i don't even listen to this shit and uh (laughs) it uh it like sounds just like it and it was kind of a bummer but whatever
0: yeah you know i with the last release i put out when i go back and read some of the lyrics now I'm like, oh, wow, that's really good. I can't believe I came up with that. But then I'm like, oh, I just completely took that from this, and I didn't even realize it. It's like a subconscious thing. It just buries itself in there, and then it comes out.
2: I got a story about that.
3: Oh, yes. Go. Is this what Mike Marley did?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) when Detrit was recording our demo, it's not called Demo for some reason, but uh, our first release, this was like 2011, I I would everything was done I didn't have lyrics for one song and it was like a very simple song it's called uh the world looks down on me I think or something anyway I get in the car with uh my friend Mike who is the guitarist of detriment and I was just like dude I'm just like so stumped on this song I'm just like I don't know what to write and he hands me a piece of cardboard with sharpie all over it and he's like dude I came up with these lyrics for this song that you've been struggling with and I was like oh wow this is like fucking perfect so I'm reading the lyrics. I'm like, "Damn, this is awesome, dude!" So we go and record the song, and uh, when it's done, he's just kind of like sitting at me with a grin. He's sitting down, looking at me with this grin on his face, and he's just like, you know, shaking up and down. He's a very tiny person. He weighs like 100 pounds, maybe. He's like 30 years old. But if if you're <laughs> listening to this and you know him, it makes a lot of sense. But he's just sitting there with this fucking grin on his face. I'm like, dude, what, what, what? Like, what's so funny? And he's like, "Oh, dude, like I didn't want to tell you this because like it's just." <laughs> They're so perfect, but like those lyrics are actually from uh, fucking Jesus and the Mary Chain. I just had a brain fart, but so he gave me Jesus and the Mary Chain lyrics. The song's called "Down on Me," and he just wrote them on a cardboard piece of cardboard and said that he made them. So if you go and listen to the detriment song, "The World Looks Down on Me," ninety percent of those words are just Jesus <laughs> and the Mary Chain lyrics.
3: Did <laughs> I think Ridge had a had a band what was I can't remember what it was called I think it was Girl Puncher or some crazy shit like that and it, they literally took word for word 50 cent song lyrics <laughs> and just oh, screamed man. them never break I, guess, uh,
2: I guess that song is a cover song so. <laughs> but. the crazy thing is people used to sing along to that song when we would play live and no one figured it out
0: that's the great thing is there's so much music You can take something from another genre and drop it in a hardcore song and no one will ever know. One of our good friends took Christina Aguilera lyrics and put them in a hardcore song that became like a classic song for the band and people sing along to it and I never knew. I would have never known if he hadn't said anything. That is insanity.
1: (laughs) Was this Mike? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If I Wore a
0: Mask by This Day Forward.
1: Oh my God.
0: Yeah. He, he has, uh, he has shared that, so it's okay for me to say
1: that. Okay.
2: Yeah. See, I was like super self-conscious about it because I was like this 17 year old kid and I was like embarrassed. I was like, I don't want anyone to find out like this is going to make me look like an idiot. But then as I got older, I was like, this is fucking hilarious. Like, it, it wasn't like I was, you know, we never made any fucking money off of that. Like it's not like the song wound up being a hit and we were on, you know, now that's what I call fucking music or something. But uh, <laughs> in, in retrospect, it's fucking hilarious. And I wish more people would do it just as a gag. I, can, I think it's really funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, if I ever do another band, I'm just going to take another band's lyrics. I mean, why even put in the effort? Exactly. I like the idea of 50 Cent lyrics over like screamy punk band. That'd be cool.
1: You have to get I was going to say you have to go really far away in terms of genres. Like it can't yes. be a genre touching hardcore, so it can't be like you took punk lyrics. Like you got to take like, I don't know, some EDM shit. Like something that has like music or- <laughs> <laughs> Vanessa Carlton there. I was going to say
0: <laughs> There's Or some- like Florence and the Machine, or something. There There's something you go. Way out there, Ian. What are some of your influences nowadays? What are some of the influences that you put into Ends of Sanity?
3: Well, honestly, dude, like Advent. I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever listened to Advent. Um, no. It's they sound like Turmoil. I mean, Turmoil is another big influence. I think. Oh, we're we're a we're huge. huge huge Turmoil fans. So basically, Advent is like Turmoil with like more breakdowns. That's that's like. That's literally what Advent is. And so is Discourse, if you guys haven't listened to that band. I feel like they're even more of a carbon copy of uh, Turmoil. But, um, yeah, I'd say Turmoil, Advent. Let's see. I've been listening to, like, lately, like, uh, that Gridiron band. Also a band called Sentenced from Italy.
0: Living Sacrifice. You know what song? I The Hammering Process. I yes. go back to that yeah. album a lot. the The second song on that, I listen to that all the time.
3: Yeah, there's a song that is a uh, bloodwork. Shit is crazy.
1: Oh shit, that's the one that's uh I know exactly. The the opening is just a fucking crushing breakdown. Dude. It has
0: these really tribal mashuga type breakdowns. Oh, it's God, just yeah. it, it gets me so pumped. Yeah. The
2: dude that recorded our EP um once he opens up like an actual studio, he was going to call it the hammering process. <laughs> oh, that's
3: awesome. He likes like that. exactly it, that. I mean, that dude played in Dwell. I mean, like he likes Advent. It's the same shit. But um,
2: but the singer of Advent, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the older emo band Beloved from Winston Salem or Kernersville. But so they were like a tooth and nail band. They uh, they were really big when in their heyday. I mean they they toured with like My Chemical Romance and fucking Avenged Sevenfold was like one of the first tours they did. But they're all from here around the Winston area. And Joe, who sings an Advent, he's on, he does one line on the second song, Gift of Suffering. And then he does guest vocals like with me, like alternating vocals at the end of uh, Hope at the Bottom. The dude that sang at the end of that song sings an Advent and he plays drums and sings in Beloved. And he's a great friend of ours.
0: Oh, nice. See, as is tradition, whenever I edit the episode, I love when people mention all these bands during a a discussion because as I'm editing, I go on YouTube and listen to all of them, and it's a great way to discover new bands.
2: Oh, dude, 100% that band and, like, Joe's friendship to me, like, I, for the longest time, I fucking despised the fact that I was living here, and I just didn't realize there was, like, any history here with music at all. But then I started you know, becoming friends with Joe. And like, I realized like his band was actually like pretty big. And then I found out about bands like Code 7 because of that. And I, you know, between the Buried to Me and Prayer for Cleansing also from this area. And it was like, whoa, like I didn't realize this spot was, it was so on fire back in the day. Yeah. Definitely check those bands out though. Glass
3: Casket, sure. Prayer for Cleansing.
0: Yeah. How about Hope's Fall? Another big North Carolina band. Dude, I didn't
3: know they're from North Carolina. Did you know that, James?
2: I did. Their last record is by far the best thing they've ever put out. I love that. Oh record.
3: God, it's so good. Yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah, and I
0: love that you mentioned Turmoil because th- you know Philadelphia absolutely loves Turmoil because they're from just outside, and they they are. I would say they're one of the more new, unique, metallic hardcore bands. I don't think anyone has ever really sounded like them since them. They're so good. The process of is just a classic.
3: Yeah, I used to. It was me and my brother Isaac. He also played in Dwell. Um, we played in another band called Relinquish after Dwell, before Insanity, and uh, that that has a lot of Turmoil and Buried Alive influence on it. Uh, if you wanted to check that out, uh, but we don't do anything with that band. That band's honestly dead. But it it's a lot of Buried Alive Turmoil.
0: So we've got this band. We've got this EP. Have we played any shows yet? What's going on?
2: No shows. We have our first show on my birthday, October 15th. And it's a benefit for Ian's lovely girlfriend, I'm trying to raise some money for her. It's Magnitudes playing. My good friends in Coyo are coming down from Long Island to play. Life's Question is coming. Invoke from North Carolina is playing. And a really awesome local band from North Carolina, also Fading Signals, is playing. So it should be a good first show.
0: Oh yeah, that's going to be a good one. And Ian, what's going on with your girlfriend? Why are we having the benefit?
3: Uh she uh has something called Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. She's had it now. I don't know how long she's had it for, but she's been doing chemo since I want to say maybe June. Let me let me Yeah, I think it's June. It's been uh you, you know, we I think we've been pretty positive. It's been rough, but I, you know, we're we're getting through it and you know, I'm super thankful for, you know, all my friends that are in hardcore. And, you um, know, honestly, the hardcore scene, you know, for a while, I was just kind of like, man, I'm kind of like kind of over this shit, you know, I kind of want to do my own thing, you know, because I picked up fishing and, you know, mar- I'm I always like doing martial arts. So I started focusing more on that. And then when this shit started happening with my girlfriend, we looked to the hardcore community and it realized it made me realize how like, you know, how much how important it truly is. And, you know, I should stay with it. You know, I mean, like these people, they care about her. They care about me. And, you know, I care about them. And uh, it's great. It's great to see the support. And, uh, I mean, it'll change your outlook on, on life. You know, when you see a bunch of people come together and, you know, they want to help your loved one. They don't even know Hannah. I mean, like a lot of my friends that that gave might have have not met her. But the fact that they wanted to help was just it's, it's crazy to me.
0: Yeah, you know, hardcore more than most communities. The people are there as in terms of benefits and helping people out. It's just a really supportive community and I've always loved that about it.
3: Yeah, 100%. it is uh it's incredible. It's awesome to see. So how is your girlfriend
0: uh responding to the treatment? Is she doing all right? Are you are how are you holding up?
3: Um you know, what? I think she's I mean she's killing it, man. I mean like uh her her lymph nodes have shrunk all the way down they were like they were huge i mean like it was alarming when when it was going on we had no idea what was happening and um there you can't feel them anymore and it's only been a couple months so you know a lot of prayer has been gone into this and you know just having hope and she's also still like doing martial arts which is like fucking crazy that she even (laughs) shows up to our to our gym you know still like hits the pads hard as fuck you know with like good technique. And it's just like, this is insane. Like this girl's on chemotherapy and there are people out there that I know that don't even want to get off the couch. Like, come on. It's sad. It's like, she's a badass. She's she's a badass.
2: She's yeah, seriously. To piggyback what Ian was saying, I, as a, you know, just watching the whole thing from afar and like being, you know, just in Ian's corner and like supporting them and just like checking in, like it's been so inspiring um, And anytime I'm like feeling bad for myself or anytime I'm like, I feel like complaining over the last few months, I've thought about Hannah and just been like, holy shit, like she's fucking battling cancer and like still going to Muay Thai class and she's still just trucking along and she's just like killing it and she's not letting it, you know, stop her from living. And I just think it's so, so, so inspiring, I think. I think it's awesome. I I wish we could do more than throw her a badass benefit show, but I think the vibe is going to be really fucking cool, and she deserves she deserves that at the very least.
0: Yeah that that is inspiring. And Ian, we're wishing Hannah and you the best of luck and the best of health for sure.
2: Thank you, man.
3: That that, that means a
0: lot for real. So we have this EP out now, and it looks like you've gotten a pretty good response. I've seen some articles, some reviews, a couple interviews out there. I mean, how does it feel to put this thing together and uh, get the response that you're getting? It must feel pretty good, right?
2: I'd say good. I'd say a little, I think the shared response through all of us has been a little taken back, not in like a, oh my God, this is massive, but just like, you know, the goal was just like, hey, let's, cause I, you know, when I pitched this to everybody, I was like, yo, like, I put bands on the road for like my quote unquote job. Like I, I'm, you know, I have a child, you know, we're, you know, Cameron is in magnitude. Like we all just, Ridge is in life's question. And like, we just all have so much going on that I was like, yo, like, I don't even know about like playing shows. So like it, it definitely feels cool, but like, you know, from from the beginning i i kind of said like you know we'll play a few shows a year absolute max um but it definitely feels cool that you know any you know something that i, I put so, – we all put some time into people care about i think like the day after it came out someone sent me like they it said something that like it was getting a good response and i was like oh why are you saying that and they're like oh you know stereo gum did a review on it and i was like what like why stereo gum how do they even know about this band? So it was cool. I mean, it, I I think it's been pretty cool uh, considering I look at my old band, like a pretty big fucking failure. So I think this one starting off, like uh, I don't know, it, it's cool to feel like people aren't supporting it just because they know the people in the band, but they actually genuinely enjoy the music it has been a really nice feeling.
0: Yeah. And it's always nice to get a little outside recognition. I mean, for sure.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I definitely like had something to prove for this band too, because like I said, it was just like, I just felt like I had it sitting in the chamber for a while, just three and a half years of like sitting on my ass at a desk, like typing up emails for bands and making phone calls. And it was like, you know what? Like I can still fucking do this. Like I want to still be creative and uh, keep that, that feeling alive. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely affirming um, just that anybody has even listened to it. So You know, we've had someone's doing a Japanese release for us right now. We've had a Belgium release for it. We had obviously like the U.S. release um, with vinyl and then someone in the U.K. did tape. So like, yeah, I mean, the fact that anyone's even invested a dollar, like I think it's an awesome feeling. And you said uh,
0: your last band, it felt like a
2: failure. Why? Why did you feel like that? I felt like that because I don't think I was doing the band for the right reasons, A lot of times when I look back on like the tours, I mean, I mean, we did like Marauders last tour, quote unquote, which was like pretty fucking great tour. You know, we we did a lot, but I remember I can like look back on pretty much every opportunity we ever did. And I don't really remember having too much fun. And I was always kind of like I was always the dude talking to people. So I was always like the point person. But I just... I think I was always thinking about like how can we get bigger or like where's the next opportunity and like this band is just like I'm doing it because I just want to do a band just for fun and I uh I don't know I think I think at a young age I just there's this element of like I have I want to be like this band or I want to be like that band and so I guess it wasn't a failure as in like, you know, people liked the band, um, people bought shirts, people came to the shows. But to me, it was like a personal failure because I feel like I did so much cool shit that I should have enjoyed, but I was too busy being stressed of like, oh, there's only 50 people here for my band. And there I feel like, you know what I mean? So there was a lot of that.
1: That's really good self-reflection, though. Like now that you're in another band, you can look at that and say, like, I'm not going to miss opportunities like I've had before. Like, that's a really excellent way to look at that.
2: Oh dude, totally. I mean, I was, you know, I was a young fucking kid who had absolutely nothing going on in his life and his life was hardcore and like hardcore is still a huge part of my life, but like, you know, I have real things to do in my life now. Like I have I take I have to take care of a child, I have to take care of my mental health, I have to take care of other bands. Um so I mean, I appreciate you saying that and I definitely implement a lot of those like, you know, flawed um outlooks on this band because I don't want it to be like that. Like we got asked to play this fucking great show in Philadelphia by Joe, Joe Harkor. And like, I don't think we're going to be able to make it work. And like, it's all good. You know, like I I appreciate Joe asking us and it'd be a great opportunity. But like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to stress anybody out. Like if something's just not feasible, it's not feasible. We'll play a few shows a year. We'll have a good time with it. And that's, that's how I want the vibe to be.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think like if you're involved in a project and maybe your heart isn't completely in it, or you're in it for the wrong reasons. I don't know. I kind of think that the energy you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. So if you're if you're just kind of in this thing and you feel like it's not working, like maybe it's only going to go so far. But now you're in this new band and you're like, hey, whatever it is, it is. And we're going to have fun. And I think maybe that's why it's working a little better. Because I know in the past, I've been in bands like with a task in mind, like we need to do this or we need to be this big or I would just decide I'm going to do something like I'm going to be this now and it never worked out and like with this podcast it just kind of came together naturally and we do it because we have fun and it's working out. So I think I think when you're just when you're doing things for the right reason and you're just having fun and you're doing it because you enjoy it that's when things really work.
2: Absolutely. And like if I could give my younger self or a younger dude starting a band any advice it would be like everything in life, if it's not authentic, it's just bullshit. It's not, it's not going to be enjoyable. You know, the, the people on the receiving end are not going to enjoy it. And I, I see the kid I was in so many bands now, you know, just where, you know, there's these kids that start in their bands and you could tell just in the way that they're even moshing or attending the shows. It's like, they're trying to prove something. They are trying to fit into a certain mold. And it's like, I just want to tell all of them like, yo, like, If you're not really like into this or if you're not really into that, like it's, you're going to look back one day and just be like, what the fuck was I doing? Do a band because it's what you want to do, not because you want to be cool. You know, like I had like a big epiphany a few years ago when I had my kid, like I deleted my Instagram completely because I was like, I don't need thousands of people looking at my child that they don't know or acting like they care about me when they don't. I was just someone that they like, you know, high fived when I came through their state, Um, but there's a lot of that in this, you know, and I think it's just a part of growing up and reflecting and looking back at me and like, shit, like I was totally looking at that wrong. So, I mean, I try and, uh, I try and reflect a lot, you know, so that, that's, that's a huge lesson I took from, from younger me. And I think you're right. There was no expectations with this. It was just like, yo, I just want to put out some music and I have some shit to say, and I want to put it out there and, you know, people like dudes have reached out to me and been like, yo, this song like helped me through this. And I was like, wow, that's, that's incredible. That's like, I didn't, I didn't aim for that to happen, but I think maybe it's relatable because it's, it's genuine. Whereas my last lyrics were like Jesus in the Mary chain, fucking lyrics. So
3: <laughs> people just should, they should just have kids or a hobby outside of hardcore. I mean, like if your main focus is hardcore, dude, I mean, I know a fucking show, A lot of people are social climbers, you know, not trying to like be like that dude or anything, but uh, it's like, dude, have like a different hobby outside of this, you know, don't (laughs) care about what people think about you, obviously be a good person. But um, yeah, I mean, like it it gets old watching people just use you or use some, use your friend just for, you know, like another rung in the social uh, uh, ladder, you know what I'm saying? That's just.
0: No, you make a good point, and I can't stand that kind of shit. I can size up within two minutes, basically, what a person is all about when I meet them. And when it's that gross, like, friendship as transaction or social climbing thing, I'm like, ugh, this is not somebody I need to talk to.
3: Yeah. No, there's—and unfortunately, there's a lot of that. Oh, and, my uh, God. In this subculture. And honestly, in most subcultures, there's a lot of that. And Oh, in any scene. In any scene. Any scene. It's rife with it. In fact— I hate to say this, but
1: I think a, a good majority of the scene is built upon that. There's that social climbing that people that kind of instigate things or bring things about. And I think that there's only a handful of really genuine people that are involved in it. And the rest of people are there for the to take some pictures and, uh, you know, be like, oh, I met this person who can do X for me and then I can transfer this to Y. And it's like, Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I was thinking about this. Uh, James, I think you brought up uh, David Goggins. Fuck and uh, you, yeah, you, guys, you guys opened the, the EP with that um, that clip from uh, Rocky Balboa. Uh, yep. Can I suggest using a David Goggins quote for the next one? Because that's that type of like music that when you get in that mindset, if you guys aren't familiar with him, he's the one that came up with the 40% rule. When your body is telling you to quit, you're only 40% done. It's a mental game. That's about
3: huge fans of David Goggins. Dude. Huge fans.
2: I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, the first track, Taking Souls, is a David Goggins. It's a coined term by him.
1: He talks about that with runs all the time. I'm out there taking souls.
2: <laughs> yeah, so there's that. That's definitely an ode to him. And then in the song True Self, there's a lyric where I said, uh, "callousing my mind, and that's also from David Goggins. But my original plan that the band thought was too silly, so I obliged. But my original plan was I wanted to have David Goggins doing like a motivational speech over the intro breakdown, but they didn't want to do it. That sounds kind of cool. I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> Wait, by the way, who is, who is David Goggins? Like, what's his he's deal? He's the baddest motherfucker ever born. He, I mean, he. so he's a retired Navy SEAL, um, but his story, he's got a book um, called Can't Hurt Me, and he, uh, that's definitely a common theme in this band too. That We're all real big Goggins fans, but he, to put it short, he's just the most like motivational man, like on planet earth. He's definitely became a bit of a meme for sure. Unfortunately, I mean, he's got like 4 million followers, but he's just a dude that had a rough upbringing and, um, was super fat and just like complacent in life. And, uh, he you know became a Navy seal, and just like he says he just defied the odds and just realized that he had so much more i mean he ran a hundred miles with broken legs he's um
1: he's done four thousand pull ups in seventeen hours,
2: yeah the world- record <laughs> or whatever he's he's a fucking maniac, he's absolutely insane
1: his whole his whole thing is about mindset Keith, it's all about like we lie to ourselves and say right, we're done or we're giving up, and his whole point is don't take the easy way out of anything the obstacle is the way like he tells this whole story about like we used to go on runs when he was in the military and they would know the starting point and the ending point and people used to get excited when they would see the ending point and sometimes the officers would lead them past that and he would go i'm so glad they fucking went past it because you could hear people breaking you could hear people in the back going like we we're supposed to stop back there why the fuck are we still going and he's like i'm done running when i'm done Not when the fucking finish line comes. I'm fucking done when my body gives up. That's when I'm fucking done. So it's a a very, again, like motivational kind of speaker guy.
0: All right. So let's talk about what's coming up. We've got the EP out, right? Do we have plans for new releases? Uh, Do we have anything else planned beyond that show? Let's talk about
2: it. So we've got like a few skeletons for sure. Um, Nothing really set in stone. I think we've been toying with maybe a a split with another band next. And then after that, maybe do another uh, EP. I doubt we'll ever get an End of Sanity LP, to be completely honest. I just don't know if we have that much in the tank. I also think people get really bored. I think shorter releases do a bit better if you're not like a, a real full-time band, at least. But yeah, we've got that one show. And honestly, man, like we were going to do a little weekend tour around it. Um, but it just it, it's not working out logistically just with like so mag- uh, Magnitude is going to be on tour for like a month right before we have that show. So he's, he can't take any more time off work. So ideally we'd play, you know, hopefully a fest sometime soon. I'd, I'd love to do I'm working on potentially something like that for the winter. So nothing crazy. We're definitely going to be one of those bands where if you want to see it, it's going to have to be like in our hometown, maybe on a weekend run or like a one-off fest but definitely not going to be doing like heavy touring if if at all well
0: listen tommy and i really enjoy the ep we're glad you put it out we're glad we got to speak to you today and uh we're looking forward to more so so james ian i just want to say thank you for taking the time to speak with us tonight
3: Dude, thank you it's, thank you, you for letting
1: fun. us yeah gentlemen thank you so much we really appreciate it and uh again the The release is just absolutely excellent. So again, keep making music and you guys rule. So thank you.
0: There you have it, folks. Ends of Sanity. That was a great conversation. It was really nice to talk to James and Ian. I like how mature they sound for how young they are, because, you know what, they're like, yeah, we put this EP together, we'll play when we can, we have some other stuff going on. They seem, they sound really level-headed. I I love when people that young are that level-headed, because I didn't get my shit together till I was
1: 35. I think he nailed one of the things, I think it was, uh, Ian said it and he goes, I don't know if we have that much in the tank (laughs) because when you're in a band and you get even like a little bit of success, I know when we were younger, like I would have gone crazy with that and being like, we're going to put out three full links and it's going to be a picture disc. Like you would, I would have gone to the nth degree with it. There would have been no humility in it. I would be so excited about it. It would just be like, let's go full bore with everything.
0: Yeah. These guys have put out this one EP in January. It sounds like they're getting great show offers. There's articles, there's reviews, there's podcast interviews. If I got the, all of that from my EP that I put out through I would have, my head would have exploded. I would have been like, "Oh my god, it's happening." And I and I would have acted like a maniac. And these guys these guys are just being really level-headed about it and I think that's really cool.
1: I think a large part of it is because James works in the industry. He's able to temper that. Like, all right, I know what real touring is like. I know how all in en- you know encompassing it is, and I know how much time it actually takes up. Um, right. like I, I think having that kind of basis in like, hey, this is what I do for a living, therefore I know what my real limitations are. That's huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's already done it. He's twenty seven, he's managing bands, he's uh, he's working with bands, he's got a kid ian he's already toured a bunch he's 25 so they're they're like veterans already oh yeah but uh yeah a great ep folks check it out we're gonna add some tracks to our spotify playlist look it up the northeast scene 2021 and real pleasure to talk to so as i alluded to in the first segment now tommy and i had some (laughs) conversations recently and it was tough like (laughs) let me let me set the stage for you a little bit now We've talked about some of this before, but there's a lot of preparation that goes into the show. We don't just flip on the mics and, like, screw around. There's research. There's preparation. There's mapping out times per segment. There's uh, bullet points of things to hit. There's a, there's a lot that goes into the show, a lot of preparation. We take it very seriously. And part of taking it seriously is having very real conversations with each other. Because we want to keep developing. We want to keep getting better we want the show to keep getting better. We want your enjoyment of the show to increase. And, you know, Tommy and I will will have very real conversations about how we think we're doing, and it's tough. It introduces a new element to our friendship that didn't exist before, and Tommy was alluding to this in the last episode. Like, our friendship was just about jokes and Simpsons quotes and, you know, making each other feel good and occasionally talking about some serious stuff. And now there's... That because we have this podcast, there's this new element where creative decisions are made, and and we have to, you know, there's disagreements, and we have to come to agreements. It can be really
1: tough. Keith and I had a very serious discussion directly after we recorded on Monday night of last week, and I got heated. I I, I don't like having conversations with Keith that, again, like as he said don't revolve around something serious when it's it gets into that serious territory and it's not like something serious that we share and it was about the show i got really upset and to the point where i i literally walked <laughs> because i was like it's it's 10 o'clock at night i'm not starting the car i, I walked to 7-eleven just to cool off and i haven't had a nicotine vape thing in a long time and i went and bought one of those disposable ones <laughs> because i was so mad i was like i wasn't even mad i think i was more upset because i always think about our friendship and i felt like the discussion we had was like it wasn't necessarily about our friendship and it was about the show and the good of the show first of all i felt horrible that you picked up a vape again i was like look what i'm (laughs) doing to poor tommy but
0: no it wasn't a crazy conversation it wasn't it wasn't bad it wasn't a fight per se no, it, no. This has no. just never happened before. Like, I I barely slept that night, yeah. you know? Because it was just so weird. Like, we've ne- we've never had to do this. We, we have, like, business
1: conversations now. It's yeah. just strange. It's it, funny if you think about it. It is, and it's also, it's <laughs> almost like, uh, like, starting a business with your friend, like, you guys are both interested in music. Let's start a record store. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck, we have bills to pay, we have to make sure the ordering is done correctly, and it's like, you just wanted to have fun and talk about music and play yeah. with records with your friend and now you're but like but there's oh. responsibilities it's like well
0: why didn't you pay the bills yeah. what do you mean like i wasn't supposed to like why didn't you order the records what do you mean i don't i don't like you have you have to like sit down and figure out like who's doing what and all this stuff and it's yeah. just it's interesting i'm going to say this the only other time i've had serious conversations are in relationships right and I'm talking relationships with women I've been involved with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those usually did not go well. <laughs> and not for lack of trying. Let's just say not everybody is capable of having a calm adult conversation. How about that?
1: Yeah, just that it being civil about it. Uh, yes. And, and I think a, a lot of what I come back to is— Well, hold on a
0: sec. Let me, let me finish this. When I talked to Tommy, it was like two adults— it was like, I said my piece, he said his piece. At the end, we came together, and I was so happy. Like, I, I couldn't sleep, but I still went to bed so happy because it ended on a positive note. To be able to sit with you and have an adult conversation and come to an agreement and everything is fine, that was so great. I've never had that before.
1: It, it was nice to have a conversation where we both sat down and said, I feel like this, you feel like this. What are we going to do about it to make sure that we don't have this type of issue in the future? Yeah. And it was literally like, all right, let's, okay, here's the problems we're having. Cool. Let's come up with solutions rather than rehashing. You did this, or I did this, or he said that. Nope. Let's figure out what we're going to do about it to fix it. Yeah. Uh, And it was really, it was super productive, but at the same time, like you said, it's definitely, uh, it was, it added a very cool dynamic to our relationship that we definitely haven't had before.
0: Yes, Tommy, think of this like a marriage. We're in this forever. You're stuck with me. That's it.
1: You're all I have. I say that to Kelly all the time. <laughs> I'm like, yo, you fucking signed a piece of paper. Good luck with that shit. Because <laughs> Forever. Like, this yes. is how long you're in it. So, uh, yeah, Keith made that really clear uh, when we were done speaking. He's like, you can't ever go anywhere. So Yeah. Just I can't do-, do this show by myself. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. The show is us. That's what sets it apart.
0: But listen, everything is great. I'm happy that we are at the finish line because I always get nervous before we record. But uh that that's part of the deal. That's what I, I notice that's a thing now. It's it's actually a little annoying. Whenever I have to do something, like when I leave the house to go do things and meet up with other people, I have this sinking sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I'm really irritated because I'm like I know that this is going to happen, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I know that when I get to where I'm going, I'm going to be fine. But just having to sit with this uncomfortable feeling is is really annoying.
1: I think that's part of maturing, though, is learning how to deal with stuff that's uncomfortable. Yes. That's that's progress, man. So have you heard—I've
0: heard that uh, vaccinated people are getting COVID now. I know of a couple—
1: yeah, I've heard of that for a while. They, I think they call them breakthrough cases. Yeah, I don't, I don't want that though. Uh, my thing is, is that like if you you are vaccinated, my understanding is, is that the severity of what you will get with COVID is clearly not that severe, and usually will not involve hospitalization, barring the fact that you have any type of you know other comorbidity factors. Uh, yeah, it's really. I'll be honest with like school closing down last week and going back to full remote at school. We're we're all a little on edge. Uh, you know, can kid- you
0: imagine if we have to start talking about the pandemic again on the show? Our ratings are going to tank. people are <laughs> sick of hearing about it
1: <laughs> well can we do like uh we 'll have to do like this week in positive news we 'll do like positive affirmations like <laughs> we 'll have to bring up and we 'll have to come up with new segments because it, we yeah just, like we can 't talk about everybody we 've heard it for the last year and a half right like yeah i 'm over it i 'm so over it. I'm glad to be able to go back into stores. Actually, you know, not to go back to the Costco story, but when I was in Costco, I was very pleasantly surprised. The vast majority, overwhelming majority of people in the store had masks on. Oh, that's good. Not most of them wearing them properly. Tons of them under people's noses. However, still rocking them. So I was like, all right, I feel better.
0: When <laughs> Remember when your boy Ricky Schroeder refused to wear a mask into Costco and He said he was canceling his membership and encouraging others to do so. You could never forgive him for that, right?
1: I haven't watched Silver Spoons since.
0: (laughs) I haven't watched Silver Spoons ever.
1: I think I watched like three episodes. That was like one of those ones that was like on the same time as like Small Wonder and all that. I I didn't like any of those shows.
0: I mentioned it in segment one real quick, but I watched a documentary on Netflix about Bob Ross, the painter... It's called Bob Ross Secrets and Happy Accidents or something like that. I'm a little annoyed because all the marketing for the documentary makes it sound like Bob Ross had this salacious, horrible secret that he's been keeping from everyone, and there's all this dark stuff it's going to reveal. But that's not the case. You know, they go into his life, they trace a lot of his life, and some of the horrible business dealings he's had with his company— but uh I don't know. It it, w- it was good. I recommend it. And then after that I watched the Bob Ross channel on Twitch and watched him paint. And I've always liked him from, since I was like 9 years old. It's a very calming nice thing to watch. Would you recommend the
1: documentary? Oh yeah. yeah he's like good. a He's a he was like a Vietnam vet, right? He was a Vietnam vet and I remember somebody putting out an article and they were like he didn't like the afro. He wanted to stop doing the perm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he didn't want that, but it it was already attached to him, so he couldn't get away from it.
1: Yeah, and that was basically the bad parts, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they said he had an affair with the woman he was in business with. That was the worst thing. I oh. mean, it was the it was the 70s. Didn't everyone do that?
1: I don't know. I wasn't alive.
0: Yeah. <laughs> We're so young, Tommy. We're so uh, oh, young and vibrant.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I cracked my back the other day and I didn't get up off the floor for like three minutes. <laughs> okay. I have one of those yoga wheels and I just cracked the shit out of my back and I just laid there like ugh.
0: When we were interviewing Ends of Sanity, did one of did Ian call us old? Did you catch that?
1: He did. He yeah. did. He's you're, 25 though. He was like, Y'all y'all are old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you're that until you breach your thirties, everything seems really old. Like when I was in Crash of 64, I think I was 28. And Pat was 34. And I thought that was old. Oh, wow. Yeah, and now we're like, I don't know, 39 and whatever. And I'm like, oh, we're the same age.
1: Yeah, I my my daughters do that. with. I, I think when you're a little kid and when you're a teenager and you're kind of in that adolescence, kind of like 20s thing, everybody that's over a specific age is just old to you. Like my daughters, whenever they meet someone that's 10, they're like, that kid's old. Yeah. But like to us, if so, I met someone that's 50 right now, I'll be like, they're not that old. exactly and they're 10 years my senior so like i'm really like fuck it man like that's not that old i think you just get to a certain point where you just go look i've I've accepted the position i'm in in life and i'm okay with everybody else's as well
0: yeah once i breach 35 i'm like yeah we're
1: all basically the same age unless you're like 17 that's really young i have students that come to pick up younger siblings and they like run like they're like hey mr so-and-so how are you doing (laughs) (laughs) and they're like you know I, i just turned 19 and i'm like Oh Lord! Ah, I'm. I, you were I'm, still an audience of one when you
0: were nineteen. Yeah, think no, about I, that. Yeah,
1: hundred percent. It was still an audience of one. Yeah, yeah. That seems a,
0: like three lifetimes ago.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, more than that. There's. If you really think about it, two the like two decades have passed since that. I've changed every single five every five years. I'm basically a new person. So yeah, that's it. when I meet someone that's 17, 18, 19 years old, and they say, like, "Hey, I'm going to do this." I'm like, "Yeah, you'll figure it out." <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to be an astronaut." All right, well, we'll see let's, let's talk in a decade. Let's see how you're doing with that. Well, that's it.
0: That's it. That's our show. We hope you enjoyed it. So thank you again to James and Ian from Ends of Sanity. Check out the EP if you haven't yet. it's a banger, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks everybody for listening and) Until next time.